A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Sutofil, pico del área, vaya golazo, vaya golazo de Girú. El escorpión. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there, welcome to another Arscast Extra. As always, with James from Gutterblog, a very happy new year to you, James. Happy New Year. Goodly New Year, let's hope. 2017. Let's see what it holds. Yeah, it started pretty well, it has to be said. Um, Yes, so far. (laughs) So far, I like it. It's the perfect year so far. I mean, I know we're not far into it, and, you know, there's the potential for for lots of things to go wrong in the next 364 days, but uh, I guess we should try and stay positive. Wish everybody listening uh, a very happy New Year, um, Mm. wherever you are in the world. Hope it's been going swimmingly for you, too. Did um, Did you celebrate in grand style? I well, not really. I went to my mum's house. <laughs> I did went you, to my did hometown. you um, did you try and convince her that you, you got her a monkey for a New Year's present? <laughs> no, I didn't. That was uh, that was Christmas. Did I talk about that on the show? You didn't I talk about remember. it on the show, but I saw it on I'll Instagram. Briefly, yeah, do please. I'll briefly surmise that last year, my mum, above and beyond all else, every time I asked her what she wanted for Christmas, she wanted a monkey. She'd got it in her head. She'd seen some sort of David Asper documentary. She wasn't specific about what kind of monkey. She just wanted a monkey. But was she actually so, serious yeah. about this? Like, did she want, like, a helper monkey, that kind of thing? I don't know. She'd looked into it. I think it was like as a pet slash friend. Um, <laughs> it seemed very serious. I mean, it was like, you know, a kind of Michael Jackson and Bubbles scenario. I don't know. She wanted this monkey. I in- entertained the idea, you know, and on Christmas Day, I gave her a wrapped up banana. And when she unwrapped it, her face was an absolute picture. I mean, she really thought that that was a clue that the monkey was the next <laughs> present, you know, that it was in the shoebox next to it or something. Um her disappointment and rage when it transpired there was no monkey was almost not worth it. But this new year, no, no, no monkeys, just just monkey business, just messing around, having fun at home. It was oh, fun. Right. What about you? Cool. Yeah, we went out for a few pints and came home, did the usual thing of watching Jules Holland, drank some rum and mm-hmm. went to bed. It didn't, uh, it was, yeah, it was all very pleasant, all very pleasant. Woke up on uh, whatever day it was yesterday. That was New Year's Day, feeling 
Not too bad, actually, because normally I associate New Year's Day with feeling absolutely terrible because it's such a big night the night before and you feel just banjacks. But I didn't feel too bad at all, so I was in reasonably good shape for uh, for the Arsenal game and I was uh, I was sort of watching Watford against Tottenham for a little bit and then was like, well, no, this is a bad way to start the new year, watching Tottenham win quite convincingly and very easily. So I turned that off. Yeah. Hmm. Hopefully everyone else was sort of too hungover to tune into that one. Yeah, do you know what I did, though? I watched a film, uh, rather than watch uh, Tottenham, I watched a film called The Lobster. Have you seen that with Colin Farrell? I haven't, actually. I've heard of it. It's not about a lobster, is it? No, it's very difficult to explain what it's about, but if you like strange, slightly surreal, dark comedies with some quite Mm. disturbing elements in them, I would recommend this film. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's really quite good. Uh, so that's what I did instead. I watched that, which was far better than watching Tottenham. And then I turned over and watched Arsenal. And, well, my new year kicked off in grand style, thanks to that handsome French bloke, Olivier Giroud. Blimey. Wow. Core. Crikey. <sighs> Jeez. <Yeah. laughs> all, all of those words, really. Um, all those exhalations and puffings. And I honestly, I've rarely... I don't think I've ever seen a goal... Well, I've certainly never seen a goal quite like that in person. I mean, it was absolutely extraordinary. It was one mm. of those where there you've got those sort of um, different types of crowd reaction. You know, there was the reaction of, oh, it's a goal. Then that was almost immediately superseded by this roar of, you know, is that what I think it was? That was mm. so extraordinary. Then that thing where they show the replay in the ground and everyone reacts again. It was just sort of waves of... Uh, waves of roars. Yeah, you know, it was it's quite an extraordinary atmosphere. To yeah, hear. amazing. I actually have a piece of audio to to uh, illustrate perfectly what you're talking about. You can hear uh, the move starts with Lucas Perez picking up the ball, and the first kind of ooh is Olivier Giroud's flick. It continues to there. You hear the finish, and then you can hear some of the uh, the gasps from the crowd. So check this out. I was watching it and I was honestly I was sort of I was on my feet basically from Giroud's flick on the halfway line mm. and you were kind of I was watching this unfold thinking if this ends up in a goal this is a great goal however it goes in you know yeah. it'd be a it'd be a brilliant flowing counter-attack move but for it to be finished in that manner mm. I, I mean you know at the Emirates Stadium I'm trying to think of goals I've seen at at the Emirates Stadium that rival it and really 
you know, Jack Wilshire's one against Norwich kind of had a similar reaction. You mm. know, it was that extraordinary move. But I, I, I mean, there this was, was just... Yeah, there was a, a Rosicki goal, which was quite similar to the Wilshire goal. Again, yeah. Giroud involved in both of those goals as well, if I remember correctly. Mm. He was a big part of the Wilshire goal. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it really was... Um, an amazing piece of football from from start to finish. And what I really like about it is the the finish is just incredible because it's the imperfection in the final ball that turns what would be a really good goal into something almost unique, as you say. You know, we, we, we haven't seen that kind of a goal from an Arsenal player before, I don't think. I know people were talking about the Mkhitaryan one from from last week, uh, and I'm not really into the idea of, you know, which one is better, uh, but obviously Giroud's is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know... It, it, it was the final ball from Alexis that was played behind him. It was the only bum note in the in the entire move because it started with the Lucas tackle, Bellerin into Giroud, the flaky uh, flicked it to Xhaka, who played it just small pass to Iwobi. Iwobi's pass into the run of Alexis. If you look at the run Alexis has made down the left, is absolutely brilliant. But he puts that ball exactly where he needs it. He comes back inside. And, you know, the, the cross wasn't as good maybe as it should have been. But in that, you get this improvisation, this reflex movement from Giroud um, to, to finish the goal with his heel, looking at the ball all the way, because that's what makes it really uh, special, I think. He didn't just sort of blindly throw out a leg. He was looking at it the whole way uh, to flick it over his head then and in off the underside of the crossbar. I did like, uh, was it Barney Roney, uh, his line... Um, writing for The Guardian, he said something along the lines of, of it gives it 20% more uh, points in the goal of the season uh, roundup. This is known as Yeboah's Law after that yeah. great... <laughs> uh, uh, what was his name? Tony Yeboah? Tony Yeboah. Yeah, yeah, that one, yeah, that he cracked in off the underside of the crossbar a good few years ago. But, I mean, it was that was... I think that that imperfection is what makes it almost perfect in a way because it could have been just a routine finish and we'd have gone that's a great goal he could have put it in Giroud could have nodded it home and you're going that's a that's a really good goal but the the, the one thing that was wrong with it is what made it a special goal you're absolutely right. I mean, I enjoyed, I know we do the questions in the second part, but Spiderbug sent in a question saying, who was at fault for the first goal? Alexis for the delivery or Giroud for overrunning it? <laughs> Which I did enjoy. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Like, there, there is a kind of moment of imperfection in it, but the, it's that improvisation, that reflex, as Arsene Wenger called it, that allows Giroud to turn that into something extraordinary. And I think aesthetically, obviously it going in off the bar helps. I think that the keeper's despairing dive and the fact that it's just outside of his reach, it all adds up and kind of, as Wenger suggested, transcends football really and becomes almost a piece of art. You don't want to go too heavy on that yeah. pretentious kind of thing, but it's, you know, that's a goal that will become iconic now. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think there's also a danger of, in some ways, over-analyzing it. And, you know, people saying, Arsene Wenger said it's certainly in the top five of the goals that we've scored under his reign. And, and people are going, well, it's not as good as that goal. It's not as good as this one. You know, it was because, you know, because of the game, it was only against Crystal Palace. And you're going, Jesus Christ, will you just fucking enjoy something on its own merits, without having to yeah. compare and contrast it, without doing fucking five things that we've learned from this Olivier Giroud goal, you know, trying to compare it to other goals uh, scored by different players in different circumstances in different games. This was just an absolutely beautiful piece of football. And if you can't enjoy that, 
without having to try and reframe it in some kind of artificial context that only you really give a shit about, what the fuck, what are you doing? You know, just, it's, it's as Arsene Wenger said, the moments, people come to football for moments like that. And and he's absolutely right. You know, um, we, we get so spectacularity, focused. Spe- spectacularity, exactly. You know, it, it was just absolutely brilliant. And people should enjoy it for what it is without trying to find a way of doing it down or trying to play down the significance of it, et cetera, et cetera. I did see some people talking about it. They'd only heard about the goal uh, on Twitter. And when they saw it, they said they felt a little bit underwhelmed by it because people have been talking about it so much. And I think it was uh, Michael Cox from Zonal Marking who makes you know the great point that you know when you're watching it in the context of a game, seeing it unfold in front of you that that's a big part of what makes it so incredible you know mm. um so you know it's just just fantastic i think it's a bit joyless isn't it to, it to is, take yeah. that stance yeah and, uh, you know it's one of those moments that inevitably fans of other clubs probably are going to snipe at it but, but it was for arsenal but, fans as well going well Burkham yeah scored that's what you, that's what i don't going, get oh come on of course you know nobody's saying this is the best goal ever Apart from, you know, I know there is a tendency, isn't there, these days to try and uh, push everything to an extreme. So it's either the best goal ever or the worst performance ever or he's the best player ever or he's the worst. Before. You know, but people who live in those extremes are are a bit weird anyway. So you should just ignore them. Uh, but but mm. um, nobody's saying that this is like the best goal that's ever been scored. But it's a fucking brilliant goal and probably the best goal that's been scored this season, I think. And we should just enjoy that for what it is. Take it on its own merits and and just fucking watch replays of it again and again and again. I completely agree. I mean, as we did with Meza Ozil's goal, it was such a different goal against Ludogorets. What a treat we've had this season to see two goals of that quality. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I thought it was just extraordinary. I, and I, I, that's the word I keep using, but it's really the only word for it. It was completely unlike anything I've seen from an Arsenal goal before. The closest would probably be... Do you remember Eduardo de Silva scoring that goal mm. where he kind of flicked it off the outside of his foot? But it was so much more... His balance was so much better at that point. He was so yeah. much more in control of it, you know? He was waiting uh, for a pass rather exactly. than running it full. He hadn't just run 50 yards into the box from his own half, you know? Uh, that was against Burnley, I think, in, in the FA Cup. Um, so it was. But the thing about Giroud is as well that, you know, with certain players, you might feel like, oh, he's just swung a leg at that. But we have seen things kind of of this nature from him before. I do think technically he is extraordinarily underrated. Um, and I, I think of a goal, there was a goal, I can't remember who it was against, but the ball was cut back from the right-hand side and he used the outside of his left foot to mm. kind of flick it into the top of the net. Do you remember that goal? Could have been um, West Ham, maybe. I'm not sure. I do remember the goal for sure. And again, it just showed that how dexterous he can be mm. and how prepared he is to use any part of his foot to manipulate the ball and score a goal. Obviously, in that moment, you know, it's not something you can practice, really. It's not something you can ever do again, I suspect. But... Yeah, just a great moment. I was very, very, yeah. very privileged to be there watching that. Absolutely. I mean, I think you're right. He, you know, he can look clumsy. That's the thing about Giroud. He can look clumsy. He can fall over. Some of his touches aren't necessarily great. But you know, put him in front of goal, and he's. I think if you were to put together like a highlight reel of all the goals that Olivier Giroud has scored for Arsenal, you would be surprisingly tumescent watching it because mm. he scored some absolutely fantastic goals. And I think as well, we're seeing a player who who I suppose in some ways could could have gone into a shell a little bit, right? 
given the, the start to the season that he had, he was left out, uh, obviously because he was back late from the Euros. Uh, he was put on the bench. Alexis is starting up front. Then he gets injured. He's sort of eased back in still, uh, you know, uh, from the bench. He's now got seven goals from only four starts. I know he's made about 12 substitute appearances as well. You look at the goals, the two goals at Sunderland. When he came on, it was 1-1. Again, two brilliant goals. Two really fantastic uh, goals at Sunderland. Scored the goal against West Brom to win us the game uh, last week. He scored the goal uh, against Manchester United this season to get us a point away uh, at Old Trafford and to sort of, you know, uh, cause them pain, which is which is fantastic. So we're, we're getting more of the, the best of Olivier Giroud, if that makes sense, because what's happened down the years is that we've been so reliant on him that there's been such a burden, a goal-scoring burden on him, that when he doesn't score, we tend not to look at what the bigger picture is. We go, or people, certain people will go, well, Giroud's rubbish, or he's a donkey, he's not a guy who should be playing for a club like Arsenal. But when that burden, when that goal-scoring burden is shared around a little bit, when there isn't so much weight on him, when he hasn't been played into the ground, because we literally have nobody else who can play centre-forward, then you get you get the the best from him, perhaps on a more consistent basis, and I think that's maybe what we're seeing uh, this season. Yeah, and when you look back, I mean, it was crazy, really, how reliant we were on him for a couple of years. I mean, uh, you know, we all remember the season where Yaya Sonogo was his first choice backup, mm. and you know, I mean, that that tells tells you everything. Uh, I think Giroud's done really well, and I think as well, he his attitude's been excellent. He hasn't mouthed off in the press. He hasn't been critical of the manager. He hasn't, you know, demanded a move. If anything, his agents come out and made noises very much the opposite. He seems uh, willing to sign a new contract. Um, some suggestions it may already even be signed. And that, I think, shows a, a humility and the same kind of humility, to be honest, he showed in his interview after the goal. I mm. think what, what we're seeing really is that, he, that he's, a, he's a good guy and a good guy to have in the squad. And what he's done in the past two games has been very valuable. Arsene Wenger was very keen after the game to point out that Giroud scores some good goals, but if you look back, he scored the header at Old Trafford. You know, he scored yeah. the crucial winner against West Brom. He scores some important goals too. Yeah, I think it was quite interesting that Arsene Wenger said himself, you know, maybe he doesn't get the credit he, he deserves for those kind of goals, mm. even from me, is what he said. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, that the, there has been a time and a place for criticism of Giroud, but I think, generally speaking, the bigger criticism has been that we haven't had the squad around him. I'm not saying he's the guy you build your squad around, but we really haven't um, in recent years had any uh, reliable sort of backup or or other players who are chipping in with the goals the way that they have been this season with Ozil, Iwobi even, Walcott, Oxlade-Chamberlain, Alexis, of course. You know, guys who are scoring goals from the, the four positions rather than it being a case that, well, if our main striker doesn't score, we don't score. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a positive and I'm glad for him, you know, because, uh, like you say, he hasn't, he hasn't mouthed off. He hasn't kicked up in any way. He spent four years as the first choice striker at Arsenal when he's fit. He played, uh, because of mm-hmm. the, the reasons we said earlier. And now all of a sudden he's, he's relegated to second choice, perhaps third choice, uh, you know, for certain games. And the the way he's responded to that has been to just knuckle down, work hard, wait for his chance, and when he gets his chance, he scores goals. I don't think you can uh, you can really ask for much more than that. 
No, and I have to say, I really enjoyed his celebration as well. It really felt like he knew he'd done something a bit special. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Look on he his kind face. of celebrated. Yeah, he kind of celebrated twice. He kind of celebrated once running around, and then he kind of went back to the crowd. And I sort of thought, fair play. I think you've earned that one. There. Mm, there's a brilliant uh, picture. Uh, I think I retweeted it uh, by uh, Ed Jones, who's one of the cameramen for for Arsenal Football Club on Twitter and he's just posted a, a picture uh, which I retweeted so you can check it out on my Twitter timeline of Giroud sort of arm over the back of Lucas Perez rain is coming down and he's watching the goal on the big screen with a big smile on his face as well and who would blame him <laughs> who would blame him do you know what do you know what the other thing just before we move off the goal if you watch it again, and I'm sure people have watched it countless times, there's an amazing just half a second where Matthew Flamini is running back into the box. And as Alexis steps inside to make the cross, Flamini just kind of, he sort of slows himself down just for half a second. And then the cross comes over and he realizes that it's going over his head and he, you know, tries to pick it back up again. If he hadn't stopped... If he hadn't stopped, he would have been in the way of that goal. So thank you, Matthew Flamini, for that like bizarre lapse in, in concentration. Well, given that Alexis' cross was actually a bit behind you, I think we should probably credit Matthew Flamini with the assist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so look, what else, um, what else stood out for you yesterday? I can think of two things, really, that, that, um, that caught my eye. One of okay. them, one of uh, them go, go on. on. Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm intrigued to hear yours while I desperately think of something that isn't that Giroud goal. Okay, well, Alex Iwobi, playing in the Mesut Ozil role, yeah. I thought was really very good indeed. And I think what we're seeing is a player who's who in the long term is probably going to play in, in that position rather than as a wide player. Yeah, he looks much more comfortable in there in some respects. I came away from the game thinking, you know, some of the problems we see in his game in the wide areas seem less obvious when he's playing through the middle. I think mm. that's a more natural fit for him, isn't mm. it? Yeah. Uh, he was excellent. And Arsene Wenger was very, very, you know, somebody asked him in the press conference, said, oh, I thought Iwobi played well. And Arsene Wenger seized upon it immediately. It was like, yes, I completely agree. And it sounds as if, uh, you know, it's funny, we were talking about a player who's going through a dip a few weeks ago, but an Oxlade Chamberlain seemed to have secured a place in the side, but that just seems to have shifted a little bit again, doesn't it, in a way of yeah. his favour in the past couple of weeks? Yeah, I mean, Oxlade Chamberlain had that little injury, uh, mm. little hamstring injury, but you know, for, for a guy who's only 20 years of age, and when you think about how it was that, that he's been introduced. Um, into into the team. Now, it started, people point to the Barcelona game, and I think the Barcelona game last season was when Arsene Wenger put a real show of faith in, in his talent by starting him in, in the new Camp. But he had been playing quite a, quite a bit before that. The uh, FA Cup, I think. Yeah, he'd been maybe. playing in the FA Cup, he'd been playing in the Cup games. Um, I think, man, I'm just going to look it up here, but I'm pretty sure he'd made about 10 appearances before that, you know, sort of on and off the bench a little bit, playing in the cup games. Um, so he's been eased into action. I think it was quite telling even back then that Arsene Wenger was prepared to play him as the number 10 in the absence of, of Mesut Ozil. So I think that's something that, that he recognises is going to be um, his long-term position. But I just think he's such an exciting player. And there's something about the way that he passes the ball. He's just got an eye for a pass that maybe one or two uh, others who play in his position don't have. He's, he, you know, he manages to fizz the ball into into feet very well. Yeah, I mean, let me have a look here. 
Barcelona. So, yeah, I mean, he made one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen appearances you know, in the uh, in the team before he was given that run uh, towards the end of the season when he was given the start in Barcelona. So, you know, he had been eased into action, but that was obviously the point where he made a real step forward. He's only 20 years of age. I think he's made, how many appearances has he made uh, this season? Just going to look it up here. So he's 17 starts and five appearances from the bench. So that's 22 appearances. There aren't many players who have played more games this season. Jack has 22 Sanchez, 24, Casilny, 23, Ozil, 22. You know, so he's he's a, a very much a regular first-team player. Um, and while I think we have to uh, expect some fluctuations in his form, he really is an exciting prospect. Yeah, he's so smooth on the ball. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he yeah, does. yeah. There's, there's such flow to his game, you know. I, I, and also what I was struck by yesterday, I don't know if you noticed this as well, but I think of him as a very elegant, very technical player. But there were a couple of occasions where I really noticed his power yesterday, his strength. There was a couple, one time where he muscled, I think it was Wilfred Zaha off the yep. ball, just turned him mm. really well with his shoulders. And I thought... Well, that's something that, you know, when, you, when you're talking about comparisons, you know, that Ozil doesn't come as naturally to him, that physical power that, that Awobi has. And I just think he's such a, a thrilling prospect. I love watching him play football because everything he does is so graceful and so natural. That's the only way I can describe it. The football flows out of him. Mm. Um, and yeah, you can he's a, you can see why Arsene Wenger loves him so much, can't you? He is a yeah. a classic Wenger player. I mean, in some ways, I was watching this yesterday, and there were a couple of occasions where Alexis had the ball, and Arsene Wenger's frustration at Alexis was kind of evident. You know, he would turn away or throw his arms out or be like, "Why have you made that decision?" Mm. Um, and Iwobi's the opposite. I kind of feel like as great as Alexis is, he he has certain qualities in him that are unvengerish, and that makes him good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's a kind of a more impactful player. But Iwobi, you can tell he's come through the Arsenal academy because he's everything that Arsenal wants an attacker. He's selfless, he's intelligent, mm. um, and so technically accomplished. I I really hope he continues to progress as he has because it's been an amazing 12 months for him. yeah really has the other thing that I, I liked yesterday was Granit Xhaka um, mm. I think it's his seventh successive start in the Premier League uh, the, the last game he wasn't picked for was Manchester United away and I think in the absence of Santi Cazorla he is he's becoming very quickly the fulcrum of the midfield that much of what we do goes through him, but the way that he can distribute the ball, either short or long, spread it to either side, um, is really fantastic. It's adding something to the way that, that we play. And I maybe it's just me, but there's something about the way that he he passes the ball. It feels like there's top spin on the ball or something. Does that make sense when you see him It move does, it? yeah. Funnily enough, I was, you know, we were talking earlier about Giroud's ability to manipulate the ball, the dexterity of his feet, the way he hits it with other parts of his foot. I feel the same kind of when Xhaka has the ball at his feet. It's, it's almost like he's able to kill the ball mm. when it lands. I'm thinking of one pass in particular to Nacho Monreal yesterday that was sublime. It was sort of clipped over the, and that was a nice little partnership yeah, actually yeah, yeah, across yeah. the course of the afternoon. Um, and he, he was, he's so good at finding particularly the fullbacks in those high advanced areas. It's, 
it's a weapon that we've not really had in our in our arsenal uh, before uh, because Cazal is a brilliant passer but if you think about Santi's best passes they tend to be of a type they tend to be across the ground they tend to be low they tend to be into Mesut Ozil whereas Shaka has got excellent vision and the technical ability to complement that I agree that he's really He's massively kicked on. He's massively mm. kicked on. And the fact that he was left out of that Old Trafford game, you know, you mentioned that there, that sounds absurd now. You know, it's, yeah. it, it, he feels like, in terms of the central midfield, arguably the, the first name on the team sheet in Cazorla's absence. Yeah, for sure. And I think now, now the question is who is going to be the long-term partner for him? That's the question that we've got to, well, Arsene Wenger has got to deal with. I'm still not sure what the answer is. Uh, I do feel like it might shift from, from game to game a little bit, but uh, we'll wait and see what happens there. But yeah, very promising performance from him. And overall, do you, um, go on, sorry. I was just going to say, Arsene Wenger sort of before the Palace game spoke about Shaka's uh, side of his game improving. Uh, and that's sort of what's earned him his place in the side. Is that something you've seen? Reflected on on the field. What was that? Because he just cut out the what side oh, of the game? Defensive side. You know, he talked about his defensive contribution being better. Yeah. Um, which I I I thought I don't know. I mean, I'm see I only see what I see, but I think that that's been relatively consistent throughout. To be honest, but yeah. I think it seems to feel there's been a big upturn there. Yeah, I think maybe there's just a touch more discipline, and I think maybe as well he's a little more in tune with the pace of the game in England. So he's not necessarily mm. caught out uh, positionally the way perhaps he was. Remember when he got the red card? Um, I, I think he's just more up to speed with, with English football. But I'd agree with you for the most part. I think he's been quite consistent in the defensive side of his game. Um, but maybe the manager is seeing things that we're not seeing, fine-tuning or, or what have you. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he... He is the deepest of the midfielders when he plays. Even El Nenny was playing a little bit ahead of him yesterday, and he's much more a, a guy who'll link play. Um, and, and the two of them work quite well together as well. I think you know. Yeah, so, I liked I liked yeah. them. And then he's off now, of course, to yeah. African Cup of Nations. But yeah. uh, the, the one thing on Shaka is probably that I think the the shoot chance I'm I'm still not a fan of. He's got a shot accuracy of ten percent, which is yeah. the lowest. <laughs> In the Arsenal squad, yeah, he does. He does seem to react to that a little bit, doesn't he? As if it's like, yeah. oh, well, they're well, it's they're high better. Don't want to let them down. <laughs> they're telling me we, to shoot. Yeah. Okay, I give it a go. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He could be a little more. He could be a little more. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, sensible. Yeah, judicious. That's yeah. exactly the word I was looking for. But but at the same time, I think it. I think it's not a bad thing to have a player who's willing to have a pop from distance every now and again. Because it just adds that little good. bit of variety to, to, to the way that you play. So I wouldn't want him to cut it out altogether, but you know, maybe not three or four times a game. Uh, <laughs> it, it forces the defence out, doesn't it? It yeah. makes it hard to sit deep because you know that you've got to try and close somebody down. Yeah. So the fact that the threat's there is a good thing. The actual practice mm. of it. Probably less so. Yes. So look, overall, a really good, uh, really good win. Very comfortable. Felt a little bit like we were playing within ourselves because we know we've got uh, another game uh, tomorrow night. Of course, we're playing, we're playing Bournemouth, but two clean sheets in a row as well, which I think is significant. That was that was my big takeout. That's the thing I was really satisfied with. I mean, I think when you break down why it's happening, you've got to look at the opposition. And I think in West Brom and Crystal Palace, we faced two teams who didn't have much attacking ambition or, or ability. Is that mm, fair to say? Absolutely, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Palace were very, very poor. In that first half, I thought Palace were absolutely atrocious, to be honest. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I, I, they, they offered almost nothing. I sort of feared at kickoff they did that sort of rugby trick of lining everybody up and launching the ball to the wing. And I thought, oh, God, is this going to be one of those mm. aerial assaults? But uh, as it transpired... No, we no. didn't have too much to deal with. There was that one spell in the second half, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that we gave away a corner quite carelessly. I think Monreal passed it back to, to Czech and it went out. And from the mm. corner, he had to make a save. Then he punched. Then he made another save. I think it came to Townsend and he, he saved again there. But that was it. That was it. They didn't look dangerous at all. Gabriel and Koscielny had Benteke pretty much in their pocket. So uh, it was, it was uh, a very accomplished comfortable 2-0 win and just just what the doctor ordered I think absolutely absolutely and of course uh, this midweek is an interesting one because it's one of Chelsea's harder games you know they travel to Spurs on Wednesday so no 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 they're gonna win <laughs> there's just literally no way Tottenham are gonna do anything but bottle that game the same the, the same way they did <laughs> do not think remember last season when Tottenham were 2-0 up and they were like fighting for the title. They were, looked like they might go uh, go the distance with Leicester. Do you remember? And then they they had well. that extraordinary, hilarious. I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. They had that terrible meltdown where they led in two goals and then completely lost their discipline. Players sent off all over the place, and you know they just they just fucking lost their shit altogether. That is going to be in their minds tomorrow when they're playing a team as relentless uh, or on Wednesday when they're playing a team as relentless as Chelsea. So I'd be really surprised if they did anything uh, other than lose that game. Well, look, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I don't want to want them to do particularly well, but mm. if some sort of, you know, match abandoned result where both teams have <laughs> deducted points, if, if Spurs could start that match as they finish the last one, basically fighting everyone on the field, yeah. then that would be something. Yeah, let's have a let's have a good old brawl involving, you know, both sides. But no, I, look, I think you'd, you'd take a draw um, in that one. It's very difficult. I mean, your head tells you that you want Chelsea to drop as many points as possible, but... You know, even if they dropped a couple in that game with a draw, it would be it would do us. But of course, we've got a job on our hands. We've got to go to to Bournemouth. Um, less than forty eight hours, well, around forty eight hours after after playing, and pick ourselves up and and put in a kind of a performance. I suppose we probably have questions about that, do we? There might be some uh, questions. I imagine so. so. We'll have a look. If yeah. not, I'll ask you one. All right, cool. Well, look, we'll leave it there for part one. We'll come back with part two and your questions right after this. So happy. So happy. This is fantastic. So happy. Fantastic. The fans so happy. This is fantastic. So happy. So happy. This is fantastic. Fantastic. So happy I go to talk with my dog. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is the part of the show where we answer the questions you send to us on Twitter, at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the Arse blog. Uh, James, we talked about Bournemouth just before the break, and obviously that's uh, mm-hmm. a tricky enough fixture. We played them fairly recently at the Emirates, and we're going to have to face them again. Ahmed Yusuf, who's Ahmed Yusuf 10, would want to know, or wants to know rather, who would you rest against Bournemouth, given Iwobi slash team as a whole uh, did well? Would you give another rest to Mesut Ozil, who missed the game through illness, apparently? Yeah, I mean, what do you? I mean, are you suggesting you think that maybe he wasn't ill? Maybe he's just taking no, out I think the firing he, I, line. I think he was, um, yeah. because Arsene Wenger said in his press conference on Friday that there were one or two players who were struggling a bit with with illness or flu. So uh, obviously, Ozil was was one of those. Um, I mean, it, it I mean, was look, the kind of game where you could have rested him if you'd really wanted yeah. to, but we, we'll see. But if he's still bedridden, I, I'd say his chances of playing against uh, Bournemouth are quite slim. That's it. Yeah, I think Arsene Wenger seemed relatively uh, unsure about his participation against Bournemouth. Is there any other player we're expecting back? I mean, Theo Walcott, what's the story with him? Do we know? I think he might be back. I'm not not 100% sure. He had a calf injury that kept him out of the game against uh, Crystal Palace. So it's only two days. So it would be a bit of a surprise if, if he were back. Um, but players who came in, like, well, El Neni's gone. Lucas Perez came in, did all right on the, on the right hand side. Um, I'm not sure he's gonna, gonna keep his place there, but again, it depends who's, uh, who's fit and available, uh, for tomorrow. I can't see too many changes though, can you? I think Coquelin will come back in, given it's away. Well, yeah, this question comes from Jacob Rothenbush at Gathy Vaughan. He says, do you think, um, Mustafi comes straight back into the team, or should Gabriel be rewarded for his play? That's a good question. I mean, you could make a case for Gabriel keeping his place. Absolutely. You know, he's done well in the last couple of games. Um, 
it depends on what the manager's view of Mustafi versus Gabriel is. Does he really rate one much more highly than the other? I think we might we might see that. Um, I mean, we might see uh, Gabriel sit this one out and then come back in at the weekend alongside Rob Holding uh, mm-hmm. to, to play in, in the FA Cup game. So I think there's probably a bit of wiggle room there. Um, Coquelin in midfield, maybe... Maybe Ramsey. Uh, I think he's being quite cautious with Ramsey, though, isn't he? He's easing him back in with um, 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there. And I think they said on the on the television that Ramsey had gone through a fairly rigorous warm-up um, right throughout that second half uh, to make sure his hamstrings were, were A-OK. Yeah, I think... Uh, let me have a think about what I think the change will be. I think that uh, we'll have... I think Mustafi probably will come in for Gabriel. Yeah. Because Gabriel's played a lot of football recently uh, and will play in the FA Cup game too. I think Coquelin for Elneny is kind of a straight, straight-ish swap. Mm. Um, and then I think Iwobi will stay in the team. Giroud and Alexis probably stay. And then maybe Oxlade-Chamberlain come in for Perez on the right-hand side. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, or even Ramsey on the right if he wants to be a little bit adventurous. Um, but, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I don't think there's a huge amount of scope for change, to be honest. But, um, yeah. We've got a few injuries at the moment, haven't we? We're carrying just a, a couple of knocks here and there. Yeah. But it's a big enough squad that we can kind of survive it. Mm. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you is, bearing that in mind, were mm. you surprised Alexis Sanchez played the full 90 minutes yesterday? <sighs> no. No, <laughs> just because that's what happens. That's yeah. what he does. Um, unless it's, I think maybe if we'd been, if we'd been three nil up, he might have taken him off. But at two nil, if they get one back, I, I thought Alexis. You know, despite how much he frustrated Arsene Wenger, and despite the way uh, he he appeared to be frustrated himself, I thought he was r- like really good against Mm. Crystal Palace. He kept driving, kept trying to make things happen. It wasn't always successful, but, you know, he was playing it like it was a cup final. Um, And on the one hand, you might say, you know, just calm it down a little bit. It's only Crystal Palace at home. We're 2-0 up. But, you know, you're taking, you're asking him to uh, second guess his his own nature there. You know, he just can't do it any differently. Um, And Wenger has said in the past that sometimes if you give a player a rest, that's, that's the worst thing you can do for them. So, Maybe he feels like Alexis's momentum is such that, you know, 90 minutes after 90 minutes after 90 minutes is is the best thing for him. But, yeah, I mean, look, there's a big common sense party that says, yeah, you could give him a rest, but then reality kicks in, and that's just not the way it's done. Yeah, I I probably... Look, if I'd been in charge, and there's lots of good reasons that I'm not, I probably would have given a rest, given that we've got a game so soon after. But Mm. I know what you mean about the way Arsene does things. On that, this is a question I had from um, Atbin, who's at Atbin16, and they said, is Sanchez showing too much frustration on the pitch, i.e. throws a tantrum every time a teammate makes a mistake? Um, it's a good question, that. Mm. In, in one way, you know, it's a guy who just wants things to be as perfect as they can be, you know, for for the benefit of the team. There was a moment, I think, in the second half where the ball dropped for Ramsey and Ramsey tried a first-time pass, little volleyed pass over the defence, sort of 
towards Sanchez in the area. Remember where Ozil scored that goal? Could have, could have been against Bournemouth. Would have been crossing yeah. towards the back post. And he overhit it. It was difficult to, to get the ball there, given the way the ball was dropping down to him. And he was very visibly unhappy about it, Sanchez. But the thing about it was, there was like a defender right on top of him anyway. And, uh, you know, you wonder, does it cause any issues does it cause any problems but as long as players can put it in the context of a game that's just the way he is when the game is on it's not personal you know there have been times down the years where you could see that perhaps certain behavior from certain or towards other other players was very deliberate it felt personal almost you know Whereas I don't think that's the case with Alexis. I think it's just his just general frustration at not being able to score a goal or not. not. I mean, he was frustrated when Oxlade-Chamberlain didn't score at the end as well. Did you see that? Um, yeah, yeah. You know, that would have been another assist for him, you know. And I don't think he's a guy that lives off assists. But I think it's just general frustration at the team not doing as well as he wants it to do. So I wouldn't be too concerned, I don't think. No, I guess I think uh, I guess I think the problem with it is the kind of the the underscoring narrative about his future. You know, it's that thing of like, well, is it somehow related to that? I guess that plays on people's minds. I think it's just his nature. I think any team he was in, however well they were doing, he would be showing that level of frustration. That's his character, and in a way, it's probably a sign of his his comfort. Arsenal. I think when you first arrive at a club, you're probably less inclined to behave in that way. Mm. But probably as he gets to know his teammates more, he feels more at home and is more himself and I think this is the way he is I, I don't think you would ever ask you know your Patrick Vieira's or your Roy Keane's to calm down I think it's mm. just something that's inherent in a player and it's it's what makes Alexis who he is you know? yeah and there's there's part of it where if someone is demanding more from you then that's not a bad thing either if it keep, mm. if it gets you out of a comfort zone where you go oh well that pass didn't work well well but like oh shit well I got to make sure that happens next time because he's going to go crazy with me, and you know it's. it's <laughs> but yeah, but just from the point of view that like he's an um, he's an amazing footballer, and you, I guess you'd want to please him in a way, you know, you you want yeah. you want him to be thinking of you as a as a good player as well. So I you know I don't think there's anything too destructive about it in, in any way, to be honest. Okay. Um, well, that's good. Yeah. Long long may his shouting and. Hand waving continue. Yeah, uh, AFC Stew makes a point. Who's at Gunners Stew uh, makes a point. Uh, he said, "Did you notice Perez tracking back in the build-up to the goal and putting the tackle in? He got Gabriel's message. So that little contretemps mm. that they had towards the end of the game uh, against West Brom turned out to be a, a positive thing, I guess. But uh, Jack Williams, who's at JD Williams underscore ninety four. Uh, wants to know, is the Perez-Podolsky comparison a fair one? That was made on television by Gary Neville yesterday. He said that Perez reminds him of, of Lucas Podolsky. Did, did he say that in a flattering way or a disparaging way? What was the um, context? I don't think it was disparaging. I think it was perhaps partly because of the one-footedness of him. He's very, very left-footed, isn't he? Um, yeah. But also just perhaps the kind of player that he is, the way that he runs. I, I don't necessarily see it myself. I think they're quite different players. Some of uh, Perez's movement is is really excellent. There were a couple of times where he was almost played through, having made a brilliant run from the right hand side towards the central striking position. Um, so I don't. I, I never really associated that kind of movement with Podolski, but perhaps just in terms of what kind of an impact he can have on the squad. 
Yeah, I, I think... I, I mean, look, I think he did all right yesterday. I thought there were a couple of moments where... Uh, he miscontrolled the ball or sort of was, uh, you know, his decision-making was a little off. I thought particularly in the first 20 minutes, he felt like a player who was kind of pushing a bit too hard, you know. Uh, but I think that's inevitable yeah. when you get a chance after so long. I I like him. I slightly fear for him too, just in terms of the sheer wealth of options at Arsene Wenger's disposal in those areas. I, I, I find it hard to see where his chances to play are going to come, especially once Danny Welbeck comes back. I think that the Podolsky thing, I, I guess for me, the comparison is, like, could he be a sort of square peg in a round hole to an extent? Now, I, I don't, I'm not personally convinced that Arsene Wenger believes he can fit into the system that fluidly, even though I agree with you that evidence is relatively encouraging and the numbers are good. I just, I don't know. I suspect we would have seen more of him if he had more of the manager's faith. But mm. it's still early days relatively in his Arsenal career and he's had a significant injury too. Uh, but I don't know if he's the same type of player. But I think you're right. He's more movement-based, more mobile. He's not super quick. He's not, you know, Theo Walcott quick. But he's got that half yard of movement that makes yeah. him... It's hard to find a comparison, to be honest. I'm desperately searching, you know, as people do these days, who's Giroud's goal is good as, who's Lucas yeah. is good as. Uh, Maybe I he's just know. like a, you know, a, a pretty decent player in his own right. I thought he, the way that he linked up with uh, Hector Bellerin down the right-hand side was, was really was promising at times. They had some yeah. nice build-up. They seemed to be more or less on the same wavelength, apart from one time when Lucas made a great run down the outside. He was looking for Bellerin to pass, and, he, you know, he cut back inside and, and didn't in the end. But that, that was... That was promising as well. And look, I think we we have to look at him and other players in the squad who've come in yesterday and done a job that this is why you have the big squad. So you can keep mm. some players relatively fresh. Uh, you've, you've got cover for injuries. It doesn't necessarily hinder you as a team. You can think of times where we've had to use players where they have been very much square pegs in round holes and it hasn't worked uh, and the team becomes a little bit lopsided because of that. Um, so, no, I, I think he's a guy who can play in any of the front three positions. Uh, you know, he's had a reasonable impact so far, and I think, you know, he, he will he will contribute between now and the end of the season as well. I, uh, let's, yeah, I mean, let's have another question. I think he did well yesterday. Um, who was I going to say? Oh, yeah, this one. Uh... I'm absolutely rambling, actually. You might have to cut this out. I've just completely lost my track. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I refuse completely to cut this out. Oh, man, OK. This is behind, right, you know, this behind is, the curtain stuff. People can see what goes is, on. <laughs> this happens every five minutes. Yeah. All the rest get cut out. It takes me days to put these things together. I'll t truth be told, for some reason I've Googled Olivier Giroud. I probably wanted to see how old he was or something. And I've just got images of Olivier Giroud, bearded and unbearded, staring back at me. And I think I just got slightly lost in his gaze, um, <laughs> which will happen. <laughs> which will happen. It will. So, so Justin L. Cameron asks, in El Nenny's absence, mm. uh, he goes, of course, away to African nations today, I think, uh, we will only have three fit and available central midfield options. Are you a tad concerned? I, yeah. Um... Cockland, Jacker, and Ramsey, I guess, yeah, being the three. They're the three. Uh, you look, you're always a little bit concerned when what looked like a, an extraordinarily strong position, where we had Jacker, we had Cockland, start of the season, we had Cazorla, we had Wilshire, we had Ramsey, and we had El Nenny, 
all of a sudden 50% of that is gone. So, yeah, you, you don't have room for maneuver. You don't have room to pick up any injuries. But I think as well, we're, we're at times a little bit predisposed to looking at the worst case scenario. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Where, whereby, like, these three guys could stay perfectly fit and play the games, and then El Nenny's back, and then, you know, we're, we're pretty much covered again. So there's always a worry with Arsenal when it comes to injuries, but you can't, you just can't, uh, you can't get hung up on it, I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, the one thing El Nenny's absence did make me think is, I thought it cast sort of kind of a new light on... Uh, Jack Wilshere's decision to to move to Bournemouth mm. in a way because I I forgot to be honest that Onani was not going to be absent for six weeks of this season but when you factor that in it, yeah. it does make that look even more interesting um, I think it's a blow because I thought Onani was very good yesterday yeah. there was a slight sense of he was playing well let's use him while we can kind of thing uh, and I thought he and Shaka looked very complimentary as partners. Mm. Um, yeah, look, it's a bit of a worry. Only, the only reason it worries me is because I wouldn't want to see an injury to Granit Xhaka because I, I've seen Francis Coquelin and Aaron Ramsey in tandem before and, you know, it's never been particularly successful. Yeah. So that that would be the slight concern for me. But, mm. you know, I, I think the fact that we've got players of the quality of Cazorla and El Nenny out and we still have the kind of depth that we have, you know, is it, is it primarily a good thing? Yeah. All right. Here is one. Uh, where the hell's it gone? Uh, this one comes from Ole Krabbe Polson, who's at the Krabbe. And he says, someone appears to kick Giroud in the arse after scoring against West Brom. It was Alexis Sanchez. Kicks him in the arse. Giroud's on the ground. And uh, Alexis just gives him a little toe up the hole. He says, yes. Should we see more simulated violence in goal celebrations in the future? Well, I mean, Alex Awobi's goal celebration, I don't know if he did it yesterday, but it's typically a kind of simulated machine gun firing, isn't it? So yeah. <laughs> there's a bit of violence there. Um, but violence on each other. Yeah, mm. why not? I think that'd be good. Like, you know, sort of a staged... Someone did it when Wayne Rooney got knocked out. He did it himself, didn't he? He did a celebration where he got punched and knocked out. Do you yeah. remember after... Yeah, there's a, yeah, he did... Who was he, like, boxing with one... Phil Bardsley or somebody like that at home. Someone like that and got absolutely knocked out on his own floor, yeah. Um, I mean, the stupidity of that. Um, when, you, when you see the video of it, actually, he's, I think he comes within like a couple of, couple of feet or even inches of smashing his head backwards off the countertop in the kitchen. Like, it could, have, it could have been really bad. I mean, I know Rooney probably has a head that's made of material that's harder and denser than most concrete you can find, but still. But still. Yeah. If he smashed it open, just mm. nothing would come out. <laughs> just be a hollow <laughs> vacuum inside. Uh, yeah, I do think simulated violence would be good. I think they should all have, like, you know, stage combat lessons so that they could launch into, like, you know... A full-scale Matrix-style face-off. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be into that. But don't they do uh, that thing where in the warm-up or in training where if you're, uh, you know where they do the one-touch passing and if you get it wrong, the guy's in the middle, if you get it wrong, you get like a flick on the ear. So they could do stuff uh, like that. Or what about giving what about giving the, you know, someone a wedgie after, after they score? Just hoik those underpants straight up and... 
No. When I played football as a kid, there was a thing where I can't remember what you had to do wrong to incur this punishment, but the punishment was that you had to stand in the middle of the goal and bend over, and everyone in the team could try and kick the ball out your ass, basically, from the penalty spot. But I can't remember why that was enforced, but I remember it happening, like a sort of deep trauma. <laughs> so you're you're saying that your coach would make small boys <laughs> stand over with their bottoms in the air. Yeah. Mm. I, I should say, I, yeah, I mean, mm. God, it's beginning to get all very, very ominous. Yeah. Um, but look, I think <laughs> I was, I was not, I was, you know, in my late teens, I was of age. Oh, I? right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So that's fine. Um, I think, yeah, simulated violence is good. Beheadings. That's a little bit over the top. I would okay. say a beheading okay. is, is a little bit over the top because, you know... But, and also, you know. it's difficult to simulate, yes. to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't trust many of our players with that. I mean, is it too risky, even asking them to simulate violence? Like, is it a surprise that Giroud didn't injure his bum badly in that celebration? His, <laughs> the one from Alexis? Yeah. 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 Maybe it is, yeah. We're, we're so prone to injuries. I mean, you know, we're the team, of course, who had someone injured while just doing a knee slide. I think asking them to do who did that kung fu. I think it was Patrick Vieira. Oh, he did that against Manchester United, wasn't it? When he scored that amazing goal, yeah. he injured himself sliding along on his knees. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, th- I think we got to keep the celebrations conservative after conservative. Do you know what though? So if I if I were to have a superpower, there are th- things you can think of that would be amazing, right? Where you could you could fly, you could turn invisible, you could. I don't know, stop time, you could do Spider-Man, stuff like that. Yeah. But there's part of me, James, that thinks one of the greatest superpowers of all time would be the ability to stop a footballer's knee slide by clicking your fingers. So as they celebrate a goal, you click your fingers and they stop and they just go face down into the grass <laughs> as if they've hit like a brick wall an invisible brick wall or something I think that would be amazing I just go to football grounds around the world waiting for people to score on a wet slippy pitch look at him slide look at him slide smack that would be good I yeah, think I'd like that that would be great or just to sort of you know put a little hole in front of them a hole in a divot in the ground <laughs> yeah. so that they just you know collapse that would be it's a niche superpower, superpower it really it's a, is it's a nice one Ah, but you know I, I would I would tell people about it I'd tell people about uh, it. So they'd know it was going to happen. Every, no, but you see, everyone would know that when it happened, it was me. But none of the none of the footballers or teams would know if I was in the stadium that day. You see? So I could wh- go. Why in- would they still knee slide, though? Wouldn't they be trepidatious about Yeah, about but you know, you know what footballers are like? They're a bit thick. They just go, well, what's the chances of him being here today? He could be, yeah, could be at Juventus versus AC Milan. No. I'm not. I'm at Kidderminster Harriers against Accrington Stanley. And it's a wet day and you've just slid and now, bang, you're face first into the ground. I'd have to go in disguise, a master of disguise. But eventually, there'll just be headlines. Mangan does it again. As player <laughs> You'd just, be like some sort of yeah. celebration sniper. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Without causing any real damage, it would just be hilarious japes for football fans around the world. So there you go. There you go. I think it would... I mean, imagine the vines. There'd mm. be plenty. Well, um, a phony vine wasn't being shut down. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, God, I'm so dated. Right, anyway, <laughs> that was so 2016 of me to say right. Jeez, right. Yeah. Uh, this question comes from at Neon Away Shirts, who's Ben H. And they say, after Giroud's scorpion kick, are there, are there any other insect goals you would like to see? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. I'm I, intrigued. I would like to see the fire ant goal, where the player... <laughs> <laughs> where the player, like uh, in Dracula, you know that scene in, in Dracula, I think it's Bram Stoker's Dracula, the one by Francis Ford Coppola, and he's standing there, and then he just sort of changes into a load of rats and all the rats scurry away, right? Mm. Instead <laughs> of that, the player turns into a swarm of fire ants and devours <laughs> and stings the opposition to the point where they can't move, and then he comes back into his normal human shape and just rolls the ball across the line past the screaming, agonizing uh, defenders and goalkeepers and whoever else might be in the way of the fire ants. That's the one I would think of. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What about I, you? I'm into that. Um, wow. Well, I've got to top that. There's a, there's, a, there's a Mormon cricket, which is cannibalistic, and it eats... I th- as far as I'm aware, it basically eats its own species in their entirety. So I would like Giroud to eat a player <laughs> who has the ball <laughs> Just in Giroud. its entirety. Yeah, I would like Giroud to do it. He has to eat the defender and the ball and then just walk over the line, thus triggering the goal line technology system and uh, scoring the goal. Awesome. I like that. I like the sound of that yeah. one. That's pretty good. Um what else I could mean, you do? Yeah. Um, sort I'm of, to think of other insects. Of, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's, we've done hornets, so we don't, need to, we don't need to get down the old hornet thing again. But I guess there are probably no, some, like, you. really venomous caterpillars. The problem with yeah. that, though, is that caterpillars, by their very nature, are quite slow. So, no, but if you sort of, if you rounded the goalkeeper and got down on all floors and sort of did... Did the worm with the ball under your body? Oh, that, would yeah. that be an insect goal? I guess it would be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah that would yeah. be quite cool. Um, a, a sort of a dragonfly goal where you like hover before you know because they can sort of hover, can't they? If you if you could somehow suspend yourself in the air before launching mm. a bicycle kick, that'd be cool. What about consuming the ball and then <laughs> shooting loads of tiny, tiny little balls out of your arse onto a leaf in the goal? And then all the things come together to make the big ball, and there's a goal. I think I've seen that one done, actually. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I think Henrik Mkhitaryan did it in <laughs> Germany. <laughs> all right. Really good. Uh, okay, here is a question from... Boom, 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 boom. I've got it here. Uh, from uh, uh, JB at Gunner Punner, and he says, what's the hardest good Arsenal goal for the average man... To, cr- to recreate. They do this on Arsenal.com. Not the average man, granted, but they get the current squad to recreate classic Arsenal goals. Mm. Have you seen that on the YouTube channel? No, um, I haven't really. I've seen them do it on, like, BT do it. I saw... Yeah, I won't say the goal because it's the one that's in my head about what the answer to this question is. But Okay. Well, um, I think the hardest... 
Uh, so I, I don't think there's one harder than that Giroud one, if I'm honest. Like, I can't imagine... I mean, even me propelling myself through the air in that way would result in certain death. Uh, <laughs> so I, I cannot fathom one more difficult than that. What are you thinking of? Well, uh, well I'm thinking of Bergkamp against mm. um, Newcastle. Simply I remember because, seeing Coutinho try and do yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. That was the one I was thinking of. And um, I just he think... He didn't really do it properly, actually. he They sort of like, oh, you've achieved it. But I think he used the wrong foot to flick the ball round the defender. What so a I was stupid con. furious. <laughs> I know, I was fuming. Absolutely. I just think, you know, when we talk about the, the average man being able to recreate it, there, you know, let, let's take out the fact that we can't run that fast. And, I, and let's look at it from the point of view of, of what, what's the technical ability required to score the goal. And I think right. Bergkamp against uh, Newcastle, A, we wouldn't even think of it. Like, we'd only think of it because Bergkamp did it. It would never occur to mm-hmm. us to try and do what he did uh, in that split second to sort of control the ball around the defender, turn him, hold him off and, and score the goal. Uh, I just think the the sheer technical level of that goal would be beyond anybody, beyond the average man anyway. You'd have to be a special man to, to do that. Um, I think that's probably fair. Because I think anyone, I, can, anyone can score a belter, you know, from, from 30 yards. You know, it, yeah. it can happen where you just connect the ball absolutely perfectly. You know, there's loads of people score fantastic goals in Sunday League. You know, the ball drops out and a guy goes, well, fuck it. I'll, t- I'll just have a swing at this and hit it on the volley and see where it goes. Um, and uh, sometimes they go in. But that doesn't mean you're really capable of doing that more than once in your life. A couple of times if, if you're lucky, you know. Um, so I, I'd, be, I'd be right up there with the Bergkamp goal. Um, just in terms of sheer technical difficulty and ability required to to pull that off. I mean, that's a hell of a YouTube video, me and you trying to score that goal. Oh, fucking hell. Can you imagine? (laughs) (laughs) Be an hour long. Yeah. The advertising revenue, think of it. People have to stay on the page forever. Yeah. Uh, Let's do it. (laughs) Yeah. Or not. Uh, Definitely, that's not something anyone needs to see. Um, I I think I might be out of questions. Have you got any more? Yeah, one final one from me. Based, uh, again, on what we saw yesterday at the Emirates Stadium. I think it's the, apart from the Giroud goal, it's probably the one image everybody will have of, of the game. And uh, one liner at D underscore Vickery wants to know, has James been giving Arsene Wenger style tips? Because he was quite casual yesterday, James. <laughs> he was. Well, that was his Christmas present from me. Some of my hand-me-downs. Mm. Um, I just, I just stretched them so that they would fit over his long limbs. Now, I, I must say that I thought he looked fetching, but then I would say that, wouldn't I? You would, yeah. I mean, it is pretty much an iconic look for you, bedraggled, <laughs> soaking, whether it's raining or not. Yeah, um, yeah it's bizarre that. It, it always rains on me wherever I sit in the stadium. It's like a leak above me. Uh, no, I, I thought, uh, you know. It's New Year's Day. He was probably a bit hungover, probably partying with the team in the hotel the night before. Yeah, they were all out. I must say, he he looked a lot better than Sam Allardyce. Yes, Sam Allardyce did look a bit like, I I don't know, like a bin man that had just been hauled (laughs) off the street to to sit on the bench. he looked. He was dressed a bit like Joe Pesci in Home Alone. I thought, <laughs> like, in his little hat. 
like a, gi- a gigantic Joe Pesci. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, he didn't but- get a steaming hot iron to the face, though. Well, no, that's the, the one shame. They didn't, we didn't booby trap the Emirates Stadium with the, the skill of Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, he's some absolutely miserable, Sam Allardyce. So, uh, I mean, look, lovely to see him start 2017 with a loss. May it be the first of many. Mm. Never won a game. A while to Arsenal, I believe. Yeah, that's, um, that's a good record on our part, even though he's had, mm. you know, he's often talked himself up, as, hasn't he? As like, oh, I've out tactic Arsene Wenger. And all that kind of stuff, but no. Not so much. Not so much at the Emirates. No, here, a couple, one more quick one, actually. And a couple of people have, have asked, uh, A, um, in the absence of Ozil, do, do we think that the team plays with a little more pace? Because the people were talking about Iwobi. Um, wh- yeah. What do you make of that? I don't know. I, it certainly felt true yesterday that we played with a lot of purpose and a lot of drive, a lot of momentum, you know, when we went forward. Hmm. I don't think that's necessarily to say that we wouldn't do so with Ozil. Yeah. I think that was as much to do with other players as it was to do with Iwobi. You know, I think it was as much to do with Perez, Bellerin. Morial was very good going forward yesterday and mm. unencumbered by Andros Townsend, who didn't really seem particularly bothered about defending. Uh, Alexis was outstanding, as we've said. So I think uh, I think it was a, a pacey performance, but I, I suspect that's not purely to do with Ozil's absence. What mm. do you reckon? No, I think, I, I think that's... Very much the case. It was Crystal Palace. We were playing well. Uh, I, I do like Iwobi in that role, but you know, it's not as if we've never played well with Mesut Ozil in there as well. So I, I don't think those things. But then uh, other people were asking, was he actually ill or could he just not bear to face Flamini? <laughs> That's so true. If he'd scored, would he have celebrated against Flamini? Yeah. It was weird. I, I saw Flamini in the team, and I think he's, it's only his first or second start for Palace this season. But during the course of the game, I really didn't notice him at all. Uh, I, he barely seemed to figure in the match, which I suppose tells you something about uh, the, the manner in which we played and how easily we were able to bypass their midfield. We yes. didn't miss him on our side, that's for sure. That is very, that's very true. That's very true. And he did, as we said earlier, make a... Um, a telling contribution. Yes, a very telling contribution to, uh, to, to the goal itself. So there you go. Mm, thank you, Matthew. Um, final one, actually, final one. This one comes from Freemy, uh, at Freemy29. So I guess he's either 29... Or the 29th free me. One of those. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Uh, he wants to know, can you both recreate the noise you made when Giroud's goal went in? I don't think I can. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that would be right. You know, I don't think, I think it should be, that should be a sort of a- exclusively adult only content. Really? Frankly. Okay. Behind we a paywall or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I really think, I mean, would you dare attempt it yourself? Yeah. Not yeah. the noise I made, the noise you made. Yeah, the noise I made. Hang on, I'll I'll do it here now. <coughs> We're just kind of hang on. Just going to have a okay little drink of water here, uh, fizzy water. Sure, sure. It's going to take some doing. Okay, All right, hang here on. We go. Here we go. <laughs> Pretty good, eh? Yeah. <laughs> Not bad at all. Yeah. Not bad at that all. That was al- almost, almost exactly the way it happened yesterday as well. 
And I think, you know, you probably weren't alone in that. That's sort of the noise that Arsenal fans around the world would have made. Indeed. Well, look, on that beautiful noise, that beautiful <laughs> goal music, uh, <laughs> we'll leave it there. We, uh, of course, face Bournemouth tomorrow night, and then the weekend we play Preston North End in the FA Cup. So we'll deal with both those games on the Arsecast on Friday. Myself and James will be back next Monday uh, to talk about the FA Cup and all the rest. So until then, take it easy. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. 